Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't, today is April 28, 2015. This is episode 1566 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, today we're going to talk about the Baltimore riots. Um, it's all the news. I generally don't talk about the thing that's all the news the way the news does, and today will be no exception. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about actually what's going on in Baltimore, but what we're going to talk about more is how it's an indicator of many more things, I think, that are to come in the United States of America and how they'll actually play out. And here's what I'm going to tell you uh, right up front, even before I do the housekeeping. The national media is largely full of shit on this, okay, just to be clear. And alternative media, like, you know, the Alex Joneses of the world and things like that and uh, uh, the far right-wing blogs and everything else, also largely full of shit on this, okay? Not focusing on the real issue, not focusing on the real problems, and not focusing on the real future. Uh, anything from, oh, it's just an isolated incident from one side to, it's the new American Revolution on the other side. Just, uh, yawn. Um, I'm going to give you the straight scoop on this, and I'm going to tell you why you're going to see more of it. I'm going to tell you what you need to be doing about it, and I'm going to tell you why what you think you believe about it might really change in the next hour and a half. Before I do that, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show's for you here five days a week, Monday through Friday. And in this case, most of, both of them are a lot better to talk about than the, than the dark topic we're going to have to dig into today. First up today, harvest eating. Last time I used Chef Keith's seasonings was last night. Um, and I'll tell you what, I'll probably use it again today. I know Dorothy has a steak out defrosted for me to cook tonight on the grill. Montana steak seasoning will go on that steak. If you give his seasonings a try, anything from the prime rib stuff, the new chicken curry powder to the northern Italian, uh, my go-to at all times being the Montana steak on any piece of beef that I cook, and low and slow barbecue, you'll see why. It's not just seasonings, though. I mean, he's got some other great stuff, olive oils and things like that, but it's not just products. He's got a great blog. He's got a great YouTube channel. He's got a great podcast. You've got to check out Chef Keith Snow. He's also a member of our expert council, here to answer your questions about cooking. Uh, check out HarvestEating.com to learn more. And remember, he does a discount for members of our support brigade as well. Next up today, herbs of a different kind, Western Botanicals. Uh, when I'm not sprinkling Montana steak seasoning on my steak... I'm usually crawling into a bottle. No, not a bottle of Jack Daniels or Jim Beam. A bottle of something like uh, red valerian or turmeric when I'm either achy or sore or just need to kind of have a break. Or if I need some herbs to make a tea and I don't have it growing on my, my property or it's winter and it's not out and I'm out of whatever I grew myself, get over to Western Botanicals. Basically, if it's herbal and it's legal, they have it. And if you're not sure what you're looking for, give them a call. Real people that really care about you will answer the phone in Utah, not in New Delhi, and help you figure out what you need to do uh, to get the product you're looking for into your hands. They're also a huge supporter of the Member Support Brigade. In fact, they're one of our longest-term sponsors, been with us over six years. And uh, they have a program called their Premium Membership. They sell it every day for $50 a year. They will give it to you absolutely, 100%, for free. That's right. You will get their premium membership for free if you're a member of my support brigade. Again, they sell it for $50 and 
A year of MSB is $50. That's one benefit out of about 40 Got another one coming for you, a really cool one this week as well. Uh, they'll be announcing later this week, adding to the MSB. But Western Botanicals has been supporting us now for six years in the MSB. And that premium membership, it gives you 25% off all their herbs, their raw herbs and herbal formulations. Um, if you're like me, that way more than pays for itself. And then you don't pay for it because it's part of your other membership, and it's just one extra benefit. On that note, hey... Can you consider joining the MSB if you're if you're not a member? Um, if you're not a member, just think about how much value we bring to you at the Survival Podcast. Ask yourself, is it worth basically a dollar a week? That's another one. Instead of 20 cents an episode, a dollar a week. Do you think the show's worth a buck a week? If so, consider joining. If you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, or a first responder like an EMT, paramedic, or firefighter, Uh, you get an additional discount. Just email me before, not after you join with TSPC service discount in the subject line. I'll get that discount code back to you to uh, save you even more money. Um, I'm also going to throw something out on the air right now. I'm going to do something really stupid on discounts for those of you with an account that's expired. I have had a ton of people expire. I'm only going to put this on the air for active listeners that might have had their account expire. I'm not even going to disclose the discount. Uh, the way you can get the discount code from me is email me with TSPC return in the subject line and give me your MSB username so I can verify you have an, uh, an expired account. And if you're not sure of your username, give me your email on the account. And I'll send you a discount code directly that will be a stupid discount. I'll just leave it at that. Absolutely stupid discount. Um, not just for how much off it is, but for something else you'll find out about when you email me. Again, this is for expired accounts, people that have already been a member for a while, you've expired, I want to win you back. A lot of times people change their funding options and PayPal or whatever, it just gets automatically canceled. Um, just had a slew of people fall out in the last two weeks. Uh, not that quit, that just expired and didn't renew. So uh, if that's you, get in touch with me. I will hook you up. Big time, bro. I really will. Anyway, with that, I do want to talk about now the uh, Bob Wells plant of the week. It is the chingapin nut tree. What on earth is a chingapin? Well, my friends, let me tell you, the chingapin is a nut. It's adaptable from zones 5 through 9. That's most of the United States. It's a subspecies of the chestnut family. It grows into a small tree or bush. Chingapins are delicious right out of the burr in the fall. They have a single nut in the burr, unlike a chestnut, which have divisions, and they're smaller than a chestnut. Uh, they're an understory tree. They grow in our native forest, specifically in the wet woodlands of the southeast. However, uh, heavy logging throughout the U.S. has made finding native chingapins harder than ever. The chingapin nut is an excellent nut for fresh eating, roasting, or for wildlife food. Bob Wells Nursery provides this tree and many others. They specialize in edible landscape, fruit trees, berry plants, vine fruit, nut trees as well. It's hard to find specialty trees. You can find this plant more at Bob Wells Nursery. Let me give you a little insight into the chingapin that I've experienced so far. I got a bunch of them from Bob. And nothing I'm about to say is indicative of the quality of his trees. But I lost a couple last summer. Uh, the ones that made it through and the ones that I, I, I replaced in the fall. Uh, this spring have looked great, and recently one just decided it doesn't like being alive, completely turned brown and shriveled up and died. Now, chingapins are susceptible to basically chestnut blight, which is what wiped out the North American chestnuts as well. Um, not quite as susceptible in my understanding, but that's not what this tree has. 
I believe the reason I'm having trouble with chingapin and Chinese chestnut, by the way, in another location on my property is my high alkaline soil. I just don't think they're happy here. So if you live in alkaline soils, I would recommend for a nut choice for you something more like pecan like we talked about last week. I'm not saying not to try chestnut. If you have deeper soils than I do, it's often conceivable that you have layers of those soils, and as the trees go down, they find different pHs in those different layers, and they stratify where they're happy. I'm, of course, sitting on limestone rock. So even when the trees break into the rock, they're sitting in pure alkalinity. Um, so I just think this is like one of those things that are edgy for me. And I just say, if you live in the alkaline black flatlands, the black prairies of Texas, this might not be the place to invest. If you live in East Texas, if you live in the southeastern United States, and you're looking for a dynamite understory tree, this is it. This is like a bush chestnut is a way to think of it. They don't get that big. They get bushy. They like moist areas with partial shade. That's their native space, understory edge. So it is great for your food forest designs. Some of you are thinking, I want nuts into my food forest design, and you're putting in apples and pears and stuff like that, and you don't have room for like huge trees like a chestnut or a pecan. This is the tree. Get, get this in the ground. Give this thing a chance. Again, there is a potential for, for blight, but how much blight exposure do you think you're going to get when you're the only one with chingapins or chestnuts for 20, 30, 40 miles? The answer is we don't know. But this is a tree we really need to be bring back, and we're going to be actually working with Alcoa on the big project there uh, to put in a lot of these because the uh, the the owner, the site owner of, of that location, actually sees this as kind of a quest thing, like to bring this back. He remembers his grandfather talking about the old days where they would go into the forest and they would shovel these things with coal shovels into carts to feed hogs and and, and turkeys, etc. And now they're just not there anymore. So it's not just logging. It's, it's the effect of the blight, and it is the logging and going to monocropping and removing the understory and all of these things that have basically taken this gift to the people of North America and, and pushed it to the edge. And, and there's a lot of effort to bring it back. If you want to be part of that, let's give it a shot. Again, those of you, you know, seven, five, seven, six soils. You can try it. The deeper your soils, the better chance you're going to have. Just being completely honest with you on that. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. It's 1566, of course. I have Reformed Christianity and the end of the world as we know it. I have Yo-Ho-Ho, ho, Pieces of Eight and the U.S. Dollar. And I have Suleiman and the Magnificent Dead. The Suleiman the Magnificent is dead. All of these are good today. I only read one a show just for time's sake. I would normally read Yo Ho Ho, Pieces of Eight in the U.S. Dollar. If you are interested in silver and gold and its history and you want to know more about how it led up to the U.S. Dollar, right to the point where it got there but not quite how it got there, this is you need to get it on the 1566 page and read this one yourself. I'm reading Reformed Christianity, The End of the World as We Know, because that's a very interesting way that it dovetailed into today's topic and uh, kind of surprised me that it did. Reform Christianity and the End of the World as We Know It by the awesome Alex Shrugged at TSPWiki.com. Despite any laws supporting religious freedom, there is a war going on between the Catholic establishment and the Protestant radicals. Currently, Catholic Spain is running the Netherlands. As the Catholic Church in St. Lawrence nears completion, Reformed Christians or Calvinists rise up to deface the church images and throw down the statues they perceive as objects of worship prohibited by the Bible. 
even though the Catholic Council of Trent has prohibited the worship of images. Apparently, the Calvinists think that the edict does not go far enough because the Council of Trent does not prohibit the images themselves. The word iconoclast comes from the Greek meaning image breaker, And the Reformed Christians take that literally. 10,000 men with torches move north as, 80 year, as the 80 years war is ready to kick off almost. The property damage to the Catholic Church property will be severe, but unlike similar demonstrations in France, the loss of life will be less. It will not be zero, though. The original Reformed Christians or Calvinists were not wild-eyed peasants. A large contingent of them were noblemen. John Calvin was a scholar who studied the scriptures with a view to the detail they approved to appeal to the nobility. His followers had a reputation as being purists or Puritans, meaning those who adhere strictly to the tenets of religion regardless of which religion they were following. Thus, there were Catholic Puritans as well. Over time, the Puritans became a distinguishable religious group. In modern one day, in modern day, one distinguishable Reformed Christian is James Wesley Rawls, author of How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It. He calls himself a five-point Calvinist. He is a past guest of the Survival Podcast. My take on this: first of all, we today call Puritans fundamentalists, and it's an interesting little statement there. They adhere strictly to the tenets of their religion, regardless of what religion they were following. So yes, we can have Christian fundamentalists, we can have Islamic fundamentalists, we can have a Buddhist fundamentalist, etc. And that's what this was. It was religious fundamentalism. A literal interpretation and a belief that the way you've interpreted it is correct, and the way that other people have correct interpreted it is wrong, and they don't get to do that, because you will put it back the way it's supposed to be. Okay. How does this apply to today's show, my friends. Um, let's read this little piece of this again. 10,000 men with torches move north as the 80 years war is ready to kick off almost. The property damage to the Catholic Church property will be severe, but unlike similar demonstrations in France, the loss of life will be less. It will not be zero there. Also, Reformed Christians or Calvinists rise up and deface church images and throw down statues they perceive as objects of worship prohibited by the Bible. So it was the wanton, mob-like destruction of property because somebody didn't like the way somebody else was doing things. That's what it comes down to. It's also interesting that Alex points out that this was noblemen, noblemen doing this. Do you know the likelihood that a group of 10,000 would all be noblemen? At least noblemen of any significant nobility? Not very likely. So the, the driving force, the leadership behind this little escapade here of destroying the property of other people were noblemen, but there had to be plenty of commoners involved to get everything done because noblemen don't fight the wars. They command the armies of the wars, or in this case, the peasant rabble that begins the war that they can then fight with their armies. Got it? Hmm, this is all starting to have a little bit of that stuff Jack calls, what do you call it again? Pattern recognition. Pattern recognition. There it is again. So, here's what you have to ask yourself. Do you really think that all of these noblemen were like, hmm, you know what, we just figured out that the Bible says these things are wrong, have been going on for a long time. We should all get behind this, and we should all be deeply devout, Religious fundamentalists, 
that are here for the greater good of humanity, even though we're devout nobles as well and we have land holdings and we make our living off the backs of the people, we should still follow the Bible completely, fundamentally, and religiously. And we should see to it that others do so as well. Or do you think, do you think there might have been a little bit of this motivation? The dadgone church has too much power. They own too much land and they're too busy telling us what to do. This fervent fundamentalist ideology of a counter-Catholicism, uh, a reformation, if you will, if properly harnessed and channeled, could be seen as a way to alleviate the pressure and the influence of these dadgone Catholic people on what we're trying to do in our little corner of the world, and our little dukedoms and fiefdoms, etc., Which one, you, which, which one do you think is a little more likely of the real driving motivation of the agitators, not the people that are actually applying the force, but the people that are leveraging the force of us? Which one sounds like it makes more sense to you, brother and sisters of America and the world? Huh? Which one do you think? I'm going to go with, I think people in power always want more power, and that when there are two forces at work that seek to control a population that are in opposition to each other, either side will use any means that it can to mitigate the other, including throwing the, 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 the ideology of one side back in its face with something like a Reformation. I'm not saying that was Martin Luther's motivation or even John Calvin's motivation. I'm saying this was a real movement, but the movement was harnessed and used to do things like destroy the property of others and interfere with the free will of others in the name of reform, and the people on the other side that are actually the bad guys didn't really suffer very much. Only your brother and sister to your left and your right suffered in this big, heinous thing called the 80 Years' War. Sound familiar? Sound anything like what's going on in America today? Folks, with some differences, of course... With some differences, of course. That's what's going on in Baltimore. That's what went on in Louisville. That's what went on uh, in, in Missouri, um, in Ferguson. I mean, that, that's, that's what went on. In fact, th th this is where we need to start getting a grip. And as we get into this, this main topic of today, um, I'd like to point out that I'm seeing three distinctive groups of people that are observers of what's going on in Baltimore. Now, what I mean by observers is they're not there. They're not part of it. They're watching it on TV. They're talking about it on Facebook and Twitter. They're seeing pictures posted of it on Instagram. They are not people who feel that they have been targeted by law enforcement for violence. They're not people that feel that they've been targeted by these rioters to have their shops and homes destroyed or their streets burned. Um, and, and they're not people that feel some sort of uh, real vested interest in the outcome on either side in reality only in their heads. In other words, they're observers. They're geographically insulated from what's going on. And here's the three categories. There's people that are basically calling for the shooting of all rioters. This is cloaked with the phrase, crack down. But that's what you mean. The people are like, they should just crack down, bust heads, and fix this crap right now, put these people down. They mean that you should send the National Guard and the police department in there, and they should go in initially with some level of non-lethal force, but 
and any attempt of violence in response to it, start putting people down, and you know what? They'll get their shit together, and they'll go home. That's one group. Then you have people that are, and these are people that, some of the people I see you guys making these comments, I know you. And I know you're a rational, sane person. You're saying something really stupid. It's basically cheering the rioters on as some sort of freedom fires and encouraging attacks on the police. And they kind of they vacillate between this group and the last group and the last group that I'm going to mention, where they're like, you know, what you're doing about burning down the CVS store, that's wrong. You guys should be attacking the police. They're the ones that did it. This is not divided on racial lines. There's an awful lot of white people that fit in this subgroup. I saw people posting, did the American Revolution just begin? No, no, that is not what this is. Though riots often are the precipice to a revolution, that's why most revolutions go, so dad gone bad. And then we have the third subgroup. The most logical group, but completely not understanding the reality on the ground, because again, it's not their house or their business that's at danger of being burned to the ground. It's not their child that's at danger of being stomped to death because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, either by rioters or by the police. So it's easy for them to say this, and that is the, 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 the peacemakers, the people that are delineating between peaceful protesters and thugs and calling for peace. And we need to let the people that want to protest protest, and we need to do something about these people that are, that are rioting. And, and like the two groups don't have any overlap. They have a lot of overlap. They have a lot of overlap. They have a lot of overlap. Okay? And here's the thing. So what do you do to fix it? I don't flip and know. It's not that easy. See, the, 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 the delineation that you can see of the American opinion in social media is more important than social media itself. That's the most valuable thing that I get from Facebook and Twitter and things like that is I can actually see what people really think without the filter of media turning it into a poll that bases an opinion on yay or nay. I can actually read what you think and think to myself, I know you. Many of you, I know you. I've seen you for years. Even if I've never met you face-to-face, -face, I've listened to you. We agree on more than we disagree on, and I listen to you guys in your, in your comments, and sometimes you make really stupid statements like calling these people freedom fighters if you've done that that's a really i'm sorry that i'm pissing you off today that is a really stupid statement these people are not freedom fighters these people that are actually doing this shit that are actually burning stuff down smashing windows stealing stuff from stores turning over cars setting shit on fire cutting fire hoses while firefighters are putting out blazes yes that's gone on these people are criminals. That's what they are. They're criminals. Not criminals the way the government defines criminal. In other words, if you oppose the government, you're a criminal in any way, shape, or form, and force of government must come down upon you. These are people that are doing legitimate harm to individuals and their property and putting lives at risk for their own personal gain. That is a legitimate criminal. That is a legitimate definition of a criminal. Guy smoking crack on the other side of town in his basement... Not a criminal. Crackhead, not a guy I want to hang out with, but not a criminal. If he steals your TV to pay for his crack, now he's a criminal. Okay? These people are violent criminals. They're violent criminals. And they should be dealt with as violent criminals. Now, how do you deal with people behaving like violent criminals without cracking down on the interspersed demonstrators who are there 
that just want to protest. Let me tell you something. Very few places are these two people actually in the same place at the same time. When this shit starts, when this shit starts, when people start burning down buildings, hurling rocks, etc., if you don't leave, guess what? You just joined the ranks of people engaged in criminal behavior. And no good comes from it. There's no good answer to this. There's no good answer to this. And, and this is one of those places where in the end, the only thing that does work is force. Because if you let it go unabated, this type of mob mentality violence builds upon itself. And you won't have a city at the end of it. It'll be burned to the ground. Let's talk let's talk about this kind of the whole problem in of itself and how this all works out. This is what I think. I think most people without charged emotions want to fall into the third category that I mentioned. Delineation between peaceful protesters and thugs calling for peace. And it's the most logical place to be on the board. Crack down, shoot them all, send them home, put them in jail, spray them with mace, turn on the water cannons, just beat the shit out of them is one, one extreme. And then they're, they're, we need to get behind them because they're, they're freedom fighters is the other extreme. Neither one of those really, really works from a logical checkpoint. But trying to look at this and say, well, you know, these people just want to protest an outright wrong doesn't really work either while the guy next to him is burning down a house. And in the end, force is the answer here. And it's very hard for me to admit because I do not like the state using force on anything. If it's going to be on someone, it should be on legitimate criminal behavior that threatens the life, safety, and property of others. And that's what this is. Now, one of the things I have to point out here is, as I said, most of these people with these opinions are observers from a distance, from the safety of geographic insulation. Even many people in Maryland that say they take it personally and it's all about them and whatever. You know, if you're 20 miles outside of the city and you don't work downtown, this doesn't really affect you. It might inconvenience you here or there, but no one's coming to your house 20 miles from Baltimore. No one's coming from your house to your house 10 miles outside of this zone. Likely not five could happen, but right now, no. It's pretty isolated it's in the town, in the city. right? So those people also have a, a significant amount of geographic isolation. And there's also like these independent township police departments and stuff. These are the guys, if these people start marching out into some of these neighborhoods, they have independent control. They'll start shooting people. And the further you go from the city, the more you're going to get to where individual citizenry will start shooting people. So this is somewhat contained. But there's people also all over the country with these opinions like this. The freedom fighters, legitimate protests, whatever. We shouldn't go in there and declare martial law. Martial law is awful, blah, blah, blah. Live in places like Atlanta and Dallas, San Antonio and Houston and Tallahassee and Los Angeles, San Francisco and Oakland and all over the country, Philadelphia, and 
just keep naming the big cities. Most of these people, if they are not the people that will pick up the rocks and the Molotov cocktails themselves, when this happens in their backyard, if they don't have geographic insulation, will immediately turn to the state and call for crackdowns. The same person that says they're freedom fighters. The same, when they have to face the reality of all I was doing is picking up my dry cleaning or getting a sandwich at lunchtime, and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who are pissed off and angry because I'm not part of their little movement, and they're burning down the building I just came out of, and they just jumped up on the hood of my car and kicked the window out of it, even though I didn't do anything to it. In fact, I think I, I was behind these guys until that happened. Oh, that's what this is? Oh, get in there and bust some heads, boys. And let me tell you something. Again, it's hard for me to say. But when it comes down to it, when, when people do this, it is the only way to stop it. You, you have two choices. You have two choices. One, you go in and bust heads. Two, you evacuate the city. You, you, you lay siege to the place. Don't let them out. And let them go till they wear themselves out. And then everybody on the way out goes to jail. I mean, those are your choices. Are they ugly? Do you not like them? Do you wish there was another answer? Well, what do you think the other answer is? Do you really believe it's just a few of the people, it's just a few armed thugs, and the rest of everybody's just there singing Kumbaya and give peace a chance and just wanting justice? right? Or are you one of the people that don't think that there's a legitimate reason to be pissed off? Are, are you Because you understand that, right? Let's, let's look at what is the catalyst. In some levels, the catalyst. In some levels, the excuse for what's going on in Baltimore. Freddie Gray. Now, a lot of you have heard about Freddie Gray, but most people don't really know the story unless you've taken a vested interest in stuff like this. So let me give you the story. This is on The Atlantic. The Mysterious Death of Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray's death on April 19th leaves many unanswered questions. But it is clear that when Gray was arrested in West Baltimore on the morning of April 12th, he was, he was struggling to walk. By the time he arrived at the police station a half hour later, he was unable to breathe or talk, suffering from wounds that would kill him. Gray died Sunday from spinal injuries. Baltimore authorities say they were investigating how the 25-year-old was hurt, a somewhat perverse notion given that it was while he was in police custody and hidden from public view that he apparently suffered injury. How it happened remains unknown. It is even difficult to understand why officers arrested Gray in the first place. But with protesters taking the streets of Baltimore since Gray's death on Sunday, the incident falls into a line of highly publicized fatal encounters between black men and the police. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, a reserve sheriff's deputy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, pleaded not guilty to a second-degree manslaughter charge in the death of a man he shot. The deputy says the shooting happened while he was trying to tase the man. Black men dying at the hands of police is, of course, nothing new, but the nation is now paying attention and getting outraged. I want to pause there for a second and talk about the guy that was shot with a taser. This was covered by a lot of people in right-wing media that basically said, look like the cop murdered the guy. And now there's a whole new story that maybe the guy really did steal his taser and whatever. But you know what happened in that story? No matter what, the gentleman, the gentleman, the, 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 the suspect was at least nine steps away from the officer with his back to him, running full tilt away. And the officer shot him in the back 
pretty much, I think, six or nine shots fired in the back while he was running away. No matter what happened before that, he shot him in the back while he was running away. Just keep that in mind as I re read the rest of this. Authorities can't say if there was a particularly good reason why police arrested Gray. According to the city, an officer made eye contact with Gray and he took off running, so they pursued him. Though he had scrapes with the law before, there's no indication he was wanted at the time. And though he was found with a switchblade, a switchblade, a switchblade, <sighs> Mayor Stephanie Rawlings Blake said, we know that having a knife is not necessarily a crime. It really isn't. Uh, not that one that you should be arrested for anyway, even where it is a crime usually. I mean, I don't know though, is it, is a knife on your person a crime in Baltimore? I know that in, in Boston, a knife over a certain length is considered a felony. So, we're not sure about that one yet. Okay? So, we're, I don't really know. I know that Baltimore has some of the toughest, the mayor says it's not necessarily a crime. I don't know. I'd like to know. Somebody get that piece of information from me. Was the possession of this knife an arrestable offense? in the city of Baltimore. Is there any law in Baltimore prohibiting the carrying of a switchblade or a knife over a certain length? Very few switchblades are two inches, let's be honest, okay? But just hold on. The police say Gray didn't resist arrest, that officers didn't use force, which seems to be mostly corroborated by a video shot by bystanders. Gray seems to shout in pain, and his leg seems injured, as officers drag him into a police van. Someone off camera shouts, his leg broke and y'all dragging him like that. Okay. Gray also had asthma and requested his inhaler, but he didn't get it. Yet it's not the leg or the asthma that killed him. Instead, it was a grave injury to his spinal cord. Gray's family said he was treated for three fractured vertebrae and a crushed voice box. The sorts of injuries that doctors usually say are caused by serious car accidents. The van made at least two stops before reaching the police station, but there's no footage to say what happened during the journey or those two stops. It's a baffling conundrum. None of the officers describe any use of force. Do you think they would? Come on. Deputy Police Commissioner Jerry Rodriguez said, none of the officers describe using any force against Mr. Gray. And yet somehow Gray was fatally hurt while in police custody. Uh, I don't know. Leprechauns did it? Oh, that would be Boston. They have leprechauns there. I, I don't know. What little creatures do they have that sneak into where you have people in police custody and damage their spinal cord and voice box while they're in police custody while officers do nothing? Anyway, you can read the, the rest of this. But... The point is that this guy was arrested for basically doing nothing. He wasn't committing any crime. Last time I checked, running on the street wasn't a crime. I know you're not supposed to run in the classroom or around the pool, but I think you can run down the street if you want to. The officer made eye contact with him and he ran. So, does that mean that every time anybody runs in the presence of a police officer, you guys are just going to chase after him, grab him, tackle him, throw him in a car? Smash their vertebrae in their, in their voice box in a van on the way to the police department. You can see where if you are a person, especially a black person in Baltimore that has seen abuses by law enforcement and then see this happen, how it would enrage you, do you not? 
See, the, the problem here is we're, we're, we're linking the events far more concretely than we should. You have the underlying outrage. You have the catalyst and what happened to Freddie Gray and what's been seen as happening to people throughout the country. And if there's anything that's going on that's really wrong here is we're not covering enough of the abuses of law enforcement on people that are white and Hispanic and, 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 and Asian. Because there's plenty of abuses going on out there. The other thing we're doing is we're assuming every time an officer uses force, including lethal force, that it was improper use of force. Well, that, that's not the case either. I mean, you give a cop a gun for a reason. It's not just so you'll pay your taxes. Might be one reason we have a police state and force, but it's not the only reason. You've cops a gun because a lot of shit they do is dangerous. And if you were doing it, you'd want a gun too. And if you were charged with doing the job of, let's say, apprehending somebody and they tried to kill you and you had a gun, you'd shoot their ass. That's why you carry now as a civilian. So not every action by police using force or even lethal force is wrong. And not everyone is right either. And there's not enough people in the middle saying, hey, we need to separate these two. And we need to not just go, oh, he's a cop, so he must be telling the truth. Because that's bull. Something stinks here. Of all the high-profile deaths and injuries and abuse cases that have come out, especially racially charged, this one has the foul stench of stink all over it. If you did this, you wouldn't be on administrative leave with pay. If someone saw you and had video of you, Pick up a person against their will, even in a way where you went, well, I can see why they did that. They were going to take him to the police station, okay? Like, like it made a citizen's arrest, and you were somewhere cops couldn't get to. So you and a buddy grabbed a guy that was engaged in actual criminal activity, not running away, right? But just like, like was beating up an old lady. And then you grabbed him and threw him into a, a van, and you took him to the police department, made a couple stops along the way, and when you got there... He had three serious injuries to his spinal cord and a crushed voice box. And you said, I don't know, he wasn't that way when we found him. We didn't do it. You'd be in freaking in, in holding. You'd be in jail pending trial. You probably wouldn't get bail. How in the hell, how in the hell are we not on track for charges being filed here? How is there not a more advanced investigation going on? Can you not see why people are pissed off? Okay, but then you have to separate the legitimate outrage from the scumbag that will use outrage as an excuse to do what it wants to do anyway. And then you have to find the noblemen in this. Who are the noblemen? Well, before we talk about that, we need to just stop here and I'm going to read... Uh, at the Last Refuge blog, a little post for you that'll tell you why this should have never been allowed to happen the way that it did anyway. If people with the ability to interrupt it and disrupt it before it got out of hand had chosen to act, because they all knew it was coming. Not just because Freddie Gray was having his funeral, because it was already planned. It was already known. Here's the post. Of course we knew the Baltimore riots were planned in advance. So was Louisville, Kentucky in 2014. There's a really weird bit of discussion beginning in the media about the Baltimore riots being pre-planned and organized. It's almost as if they're trying to create the appearance of some weird kind of conspiracy theory. 
Apparently, many people were shocked by the riots, as if unexpected or something. To believe it was spontaneous uprising is actually silly. There was a plan put in place on social media on Sunday. However, it's not some grand conspiracy. It's just social media plan shared quickly and executed as scheduled. Here's the meme which began it. All high schools Monday at 3, we going to purge from Mondwum to the Avenue back to downtown pound FDL. Okay? <laughs> We originally caught wind of the plan via social media early Monday morning. We were just waiting to see if it was actually carried out. That's why it began. We, when it began, we already had the entire plan mapped out and posted the riot goal as it started. And we were not alone. The Baltimore Sun knew the origination also. This is a quote from the Baltimore Sun. The incident stemmed from a flyer that circulated widely among school students via social media about a purge to take place at 3 p.m., starting at the Mond Mondawum Mall and ending downtown. Such memes have been known to circulate regularly among city school students based on the film The Purge about what would happen if all laws were suspended. The flyer included an image of protesters smashing the windshield of a police car. Saturday during the march spurred by the death of Freddie Gray, a 25-year-old man who suffered a spinal cord injury earlier this month after being arrested by city police. No grand conspiracy. Now let's back to the, uh, the post. No grand conspiracy, no big surprise. Oddly, the same thing happened in Kentucky last year. However, unlike Baltimore yesterday, in Louisville, Kentucky in 2014, almost no one paid attention to it, even when the FBI stepped in to help the city try to regain control. This is another quote. It all started on March 22nd when Louisville, Kentucky police lost control of the city to a roaming band of 200-plus thugs who took siege of the city. At least 20 violent attacks were recorded overnight as rampaging mobs robbed stores, committed armed robberies of individuals, destroyed property, and even dragged people from their vehicles to attack and brutalize them. The following day, the mayor and police department claimed they had lost control of the city and warned citizens and law enforcement could not protect them or handle the crisis as it continued to unfold. Note, three more recent arrests with federal assistance bring the total of around up to, to, up to five people so far arrested. Oh, and it got worse, much worse. See full story here. Baltimore might have more publicity, but Louisville was just as violent and just as dangerous. The MS, the MSN didn't just, just didn't showcase that one. Okay. My point in reading this to you is that there was no surprise. This wasn't a spontaneous uprising. This was an instigated uprising. This was people who are scum being scum and using the cover of political outrage to do their scumisms. Okay, and there's going to be more of this. There, there's there's definitely going to be more of this. Um, for this problem to have any level of hope of being rectified, and many of the other injustices that are out there, and many of the other abuses, and much of the disenfranchisement of, of different groups and subgroups of individuals, and much of the rage and anger about the way people are treated in the world and here at home, for all of this to, to be mitigated in any way, we start, have to start having serious conversations with both sides. We need law in this particular instance, and there's many instances with tensions similar to this, but in this instance, we need law enforcement to admit, you know what, you guys aren't doing it right. 
There's, there's abuses by law enforcement, and it's being covered up, period. And something needs to be done to right that. And then the other side needs to admit, you know what, there's times when a guy's life is in danger, he has to defend himself, and he's not thinking about what color the person trying to kill him is when he shoots back. And there needs to be a coming together to figure out how do we rectify this. But it's not going to happen. Again, here's how this all shakes out. First of all, most of the people calling for... Uh, you know, let's let these guys have their protest and we can't have martial law. The minute it happens in their backyard, they will want the jackbooted thugs putting a boot on the neck. And they will actually be outraged if it doesn't happen fast enough. As soon as the, the, the house next to yours burns down, your opinion will dramatically change. When you realize they don't give a shit what you posted on Twitter, you're just not part of their little roving gang of destructors your target too, you'll be calling for the troops, the police, and anybody else, civilian posses, you name it, to put down this type of behavior. The next is, the crackdowns will happen. And hard. I mean hard. When, when the government decides, okay, we've gotten as much as we can gain from this, and yes, they're gaining from this. We'll get to that. And, and at this point, it's time to stop this shit, and they decide they want to stop this shit. Two hundred people? Two hundred people taking over a whole city? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How hard do you think that really is to stop if you really decide, you know what, you're out committing acts of violence, you're out trying to harm people, You're out committing multiple, arson's a felony, guys, okay? <laughs> assault and battery, arson, assault with a deadly weapon. How many felonies does a person have to commit? Apparently, you can choke a guy to death for selling a cigarette, okay? But you can't do it when he's lighting a house on fire. Okay, see, I'm calling bullshit here. I'm saying if you want to stop this stuff, and you're willing to use the same force you're applying to individuals every day, on a larger group of individuals, you can put these, 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 these riots down fairly quickly. But government gains from it, so they don't. But when they decide to do it, it will be hard. And it will do two things. It will get cheers from one side and probably generate more riots from other sides. We're going to purge here, too. And at that point, the blueprint's down. Okay, you start purging, we lay the smack down on your ass. And, and the stuff will be cleaned up remarkably fast. Remarkably fast. And that will advance the police state agenda. No good will come from it. None. There's nothing good going to come from this. Nothing good came from Louisville. Nothing good came from Ferguson. And probably the 20 more you're looking at seeing in the next few years, nothing good will come from them. All you're going to get is advancement of the police state. Eventually, if these things continue, and they will, when the police sit on their hands because they're held back, when the National Guard shows up and kind of sets up a perimeter but doesn't do anything, and this shit's still going on, civilians are going to start intervening. And this could spiral into internal wars, 
multiple internal wars. And again, race not being the only core issue that causes this. There's a lot of people upset about a lot of shit. And there's even a lot of people on what you think of as the other side right now that are upset themselves. But there's also a ton of people that no matter how upset they are, when you start burning down their house, I don't care whose side you're on anymore. You're not on mine when you're trying to burn down my house. When you're throwing rocks at an old lady, you're not on my side anymore. And this is an armed nation. And there will be vigilanteism in this stuff. It's already happened in isolated cases in Baltimore, where it's hard to own a gun. You think this shit goes on in Fort Worth? It's going to go on for very long? Be before it starts getting put down by locals to say, oh, you guys, you guys aren't going to do anything? You're going to stand there and let them do this? Okay. I'm going to stand here until they get two feet away from me and put their hands on me and I'm going to blow their heads off. And that will real quick go from isolated instances to organized groups. And then the bigger crackdown will come. The bigger crackdown will come. The This is what government will wait for. Until they can say both sides are wrong and step on both of your throats at the same time. Because that's the goal in the first place. And when this bigger crackdown comes, this is my prediction. Some cities will be damaged beyond repair and abandoned. Cities like Detroit. Might as well let them go. The people that, that, that eat freaking caviar in grade school... Don't give a shit if Detroit burns to the ground. They, they, they think that. Might as well. It's lost. So just what they'll do is they'll pick certain places that they don't really have a vested interest in preserving, and they'll let them go to the extreme as examples of what could happen without their good graces to come in and save the day. You'll have economic turmoil. You'll have severe recessions and, 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 and micro-bubble recessions created by these, especially regionally. But it won't be the big crash. It won't be the end of the world as we know it. Like alternative media is telling you. I'm trying to sell you another freaking two pallets of MREs this month because somebody did something in, in Baltimore. No, it'll just be another great big valley in that graph of the Dow Jones where the elite make a fortune. Because they know exactly what to trade, when to trade. In fact, their trades create the valley that their buys capitalize on. Okay, And the American people will take it up the butt again. And as order is restored, because there's a whole series of these coming. These are these are the freaking, like in an earthquake, you have aftershocks, but a lot of times you have foreshocks. You have a couple little rumbles before a big earthquake. Yeah, that's what this is. This is the, this is the volcano rumbling a little bit before the eruption. So once we have the big eruption, and, and, and then the big crackdown, and order restored, Liberty will fall further than it ever has, and many of the people that were so big an advocate of liberty will cheer at the restoration of tyranny. Now, when I started this, notice what I said is my view is unless a series of serious discussions take place soon, more such riots will occur. Well, sadly, that bullet point formula I just gave you is why such conversations won't occur. In fact, it's why government has, at this point, made it almost impossible for them to occur. I mean, do you think right now that it's possible 
Do you really think it's possible for groups of disaffected people of, of, of darker skin color, black people, who really feel that they've been abused? And, and in some cases they have, and in some cases they haven't. But in some cases they have. To have an honest conversation with the people running law enforcement in their communities right now, do you think that conversation is possible right now? Now, I don't mean is it possible from the standpoint, is you know is it possible that alien life exists? I mean, almost anything is possible. But do you think it's possible in that it's likely to occur? Do you think that if you decided, I'm going to take in my city on the role as mediator, and I'm going to get the, 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 the leadership of, of the... Of, of the black community, the minority communities in my city, a big city, uh, the, not the people that are, you know, that go to church every Sunday and are, you know, just trying to live the best life they can, but the people that are really, you know, in a bad way in many ways and, 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 and are somewhat of the criminal element, but not necessarily the guys that are out raping and killing and murdering people, but the people that are in that subgroup because they feel oppressed but have some level of sanity and decency in them, that, that are the people that are out there as the legitimate protesters, to get the leadership of that group to sit down with the leadership of the law enforcement of a city like Baltimore and have a legitimate, mutually respectful conversation that is designed to repair the damage and have meaningful actions taken by both sides to make things better. Do you think that's possible in the form of likely? Do you think it's possible when I say, again, when I say possible, I don't mean beyond any, you know, can we find another element tomorrow in outer space or something? I mean, do you think it's it's just possible? And here's what I mean by, like, the, the, the caveat I'm putting in there. Sure, it's possible, but how many things have to be corrected first? How many, how much trust has to be regained on both sides before we can even get to what you would call the, the, the treaty table, the resolution table? How little respect exists on both sides for the other side? You know, here's another thing that I saw commonly posted on Facebook yesterday. They're animals. They're just animals. So we're the Calvinists that smashed the statues and the, You know, Catholic cathedrals, animals, were they just animals? Or were they irate, misguided individuals who had their anger and their misguided beliefs used against them by people in power to get them to do things they otherwise wouldn't do? I'm sure there were some thugs among them, too, who uh, just went, oh, yeah, we get to go break shit and steal stuff. That's great. I mean, that's there's a big contingent of these rioters. But I don't think what people really understand is the psychology of a riot. See, the, the, the majority of people that take part in a riot, that set things on fire, that beat people up, that cr crack a window, whatever, the majority of them, if you had asked them two or three hours before the whole thing happened, and they were being honest, do you plan on hurting anybody or smashing anything? would tell you no. Now, there's a pretty good core in all of these riots that are there to, to make it happen. Now, they would have to say yes if they were being honest. But the majority would say no. 
And if you ask them, in truth, just moments after it was over, or just moments after their part was over, and if you took them away, spirited them away, not in an arrest, but just like, boom, okay, now you're over here. Here's a glass of water, some calm music playing in the background. You're not being held against your will. We just want to know what happened. And said, now why, why did you pick up that rock? Why did you push that person to the ground? Why, when that person was being beaten, didn't you say to the people around you, it's enough? Why did you throw that rock through a window? Why did you help turn over that car? Do you know what they would say if they were honest with you in that moment? I don't know. Now, that's hard for you to believe, and I'll tell you damn sure the people in charge don't want you to accept that, that I just told you, but they don't know. They don't know. They don't understand what happened psychologically. It is like an illness. It is like a disease. And what goes from unacceptable to acceptable behavior in a matter of seconds is shocking and frightening. And it's why these things cannot be allowed to gain any momentum. And it's why they're being allowed to gain momentum. Because the people in power know this. The people in power know this. You really think that... Yeah, I'm not real familiar with Baltimore. I'm pretty familiar with Dallas. But let's say that a couple hundred people decided to start doing this shit and try to get it to build and fever and turn into a much larger uh, type thing like happened in Baltimore here in Dallas. You really think the Dallas PD couldn't go in there if they were told, you know what, just, just, just handle it. Use whatever force is necessary. Don't shoot anybody unless life is in danger. But get the clubs, get the tear gas, get the tasers, and not just go in and, and put it down. Start hauling people's asses away. Start thumping people in the head, tase the shit out of them, gas the shit out of them, do whatever you got to do, wherever they are, give them one order to disperse. If they don't disperse, if there's anything violent going on, anybody that doesn't leave is considered arrestable, arrest them now. Let's stop writing tickets up on LBJ for a while, call everybody in, call in the extra shifts, let's go do this. You really don't think it could be taken care of in a couple hours? You really think after the, the 15th, 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th person just disappeared and went off to custody? You, you don't think people go, you know, this is not, it's not, it's not like they said it was going to be. I'm not going to be able to just take a TV and walk home with it. And maybe I, I, I need to go back to doing whatever I do on a daily basis and not this. You really don't think so? Now. What people would say is, Jack, you don't understand the scope of a riot like this, like the L.A. riots with Rodney King. And all. No, that's after they get that head of steam and the numbers multiply. And you have people that are rioting that don't even know why they're rioting. I'm talking about the beginning, when you know it's coming. The first instance of violence is immediately met with force and stopped. Is that how I want the state to behave on a daily basis? No. But this is, again, I want you to, instead of worrying about my opinion, I want you to notice the incongruency of the state in handling these matters. How quickly will the state use violence to remove somebody from a car 
in states where it's still illegal, over a half an ounce of marijuana if that person says, no, I won't get out of the car. How quickly? And how much violence will they use? As much as is necessary to get the job done, up to and including death. Was the state willing to use violence because a man sold loose cigarettes on the streets of New York? Sure. Now, and, and to be fair to the police, so it doesn't look like I'm waiting against them. If you go into a store with a gun and rob it, and police respond, and you're coming out with a gun in your hand, how quickly will they shoot your ass? Hold on, let's keep going here. You go and rob a store with a baseball bat and come out with it, and you have reasonable officers that know it's not necessary to put a hole in you when all you have is a baseball bat and they have two cars respond and four officers and they've got you surrounding you ain't going anywhere. How quickly will they use violence on you? How quickly will they tase you, club you, beat you, handcuff you, smash your face into the ground? And I'm not even saying in that case it ain't warranted. But how quickly will they do it? Okay. But when 30 people are doing it, we just can't figure out how to handle this. Now, I don't want the individual cop that's had to deal with shit like this think I'm talking about you. I know what you would do. I know if I made you incident commander and said you're now chief, you have complete discretion within the bounds of the law, go fix this shit, you'd get all your, 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 your section chiefs together and your squad leaders together, form a plan and smack the shit out of it. I know you would. Why doesn't the political chief, because that's what most chiefs are in these bigger cities, and the mayor and the governor and the state national guard that's being called up to sit there and look at it, why don't they do that immediately? Is it because they're so concerned that your voice be heard? Or is it because there's something in it for them when violence erupts in the streets? Let me, I mean, seriously think about this. Which one's more likely? Does it make any sense? Does it make any sense to you at all? It doesn't make any sense to me unless there's something that is in it for them. What's in it for the state? So let, let's examine what could be in it for the state. First of all, the state's main method of control of individuals and the main by, way by which they get you to give up your rights today is through fear, and particularly fear of terrorism. Up until now, international terrorism. Look for the word terrorism to become synonymous with riots in the next few months, possibly even with this incident in of itself. It'll start with the right-wing radio people saying these people are terrorists. I almost bet you'll hear a Sean Hannity or someone of that level use that phrase this week on radio. I won't know because I don't listen, but I bet you will if you do. And you'll start hearing more and more comparisons to not the protesters themselves because we have to make them out like the people we bomb in a war that we don't really mean to bomb. We actually mean to bomb those in control. But the instigators behind the riots being considered domestic terrorists that represent a clear threat to national security, you will especially hear this rhetoric from the right-wing side of the dichotomy. So the right-wing mafia wants greater control and less liberty for the individual's less personal uh, privacy, etc. So they'll pander up to that rhetoric. Now what 
is one of the main things that the, the left wing of the dichotomy wants to do to the American people, to di- disarm them, to disarm them. Now, if you'll notice, all of these newly branded domestic terrorists that are you know, committing all these acts of violence in the street aren't generally doing it with guns. There's been some gun activity in some of this stuff, and most of it's being done with rocks and fire and knives and clubs and kicking and beating. But how long, as I said earlier, before individuals start going, no, 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 no. You're not burning down my dry cleaner. You're not burning down my donut shop. You're not burning down my house. You're not burning down my jewelry store. You're not whatever it is. And, and one of these these uh, these rioting groups is met with an armed citizen who says no. And they decide, because they're hyped up enough on their own insolence, that they're going to do it anyway. And a shot rings out, and somebody goes down. And the person on the other end of this has had enough, and maybe five or six or ten or, God forbid, eleven, because that would be the high-capacity magazine thing, shot sound off. And there's a whole bunch of dead people in the street that are basically responsible for their own deaths. But we hear cries of, we can't have vigilantism, and this is an example of guns making the problem worse. And, uh, by the way, the right will hold that person up as a champion. And here's the thing. The left will claim it was a vigilante thug, no matter what the instance is. And the right will claim it was an honest gun owner defending freedom, no matter what the circumstance is. If there was a a gang of rioters out there that meant no threat to the guy whatsoever, but they weren't even really rioting, they were just being really rambunctious and threatening and yelling, but hadn't thrown a rock at anybody or burned anything, and the guy just guns a bunch of people down, the right will say, hey, he had no choice. And if the guy saves the life of half the neighborhood with his gun, the left will say he's a terrorist. So both sides get what they want, except us. We don't get what we want. Freedom, liberty, independence, right to pursue happiness, all that stuff in that stupid old constitution that's outdated, right? We don't get that. That's what's in it for the state. You think about every single liberty the state continues to infringe upon, up and to include economic liberties, liberties of property. Oh, and by the way, for those of you that are so, well, we we need to have free and open protesting, you think that might get a little bit more regulated, the right to protest? In other words, the government gets to advance infringement on liberty in every single walk of life that it wants to, while at least half of the people cheer it on while it does so. And all they have to do is let these acts of violence go further than they normally would. And we'll do all the work for them because we're stupid enough to kill each other. Now you want a solution. I don't have one. My solution is for you, not for the problem. The problem is bigger than me. In the, in the military we had a saying for certain things. This is above my pay grade. And solving the problem at the national level is above the pay grade of Jack Spearcoat. Not that I don't want to help, I don't have the influence, I don't have the authority, and I don't even have the answers. As screwed up as everything is, we have to start fixing the underlying symptoms to stop this problem. But it's like saying, well, you know, these five chemicals cause cancer, and they're in all the food this patient's eating, 
And now he has cancer, so let's do something about it. Well, at that point, stopping and eating the chemicals is a good idea, but it doesn't really fix the problem. Probably need radical chemotherapy. That's where this problem is. If we fix all the symptoms and all the things agitating it, at least make them better, we'll alleviate the, the cancer, but the cancer is already metastasizing. Purge indeed. Purge indeed. Scary ass shit is what it is. But I know what we need to do as individuals. And number one is, you know those trendy areas in downtown that everybody thinks are great places to live as a hipster? Because you can walk to the donut shop and the coffee shop. Well, since sooner or later in most of our big cities, those are going to be burnt to the ground. Don't live there. Don't live there. One more time. Don't live there. Get out of the urbanized areas. I don't even care how you do it, just do it, you're better off anyway. That's number one. Number two, these things are never a surprise unless you're not paying attention. This one was telegraphed, Louisville, Kentucky was telegraphed, Ferguson riots were telegraphed, L.A. riots under Rodney King years and years and years ago were telegraphed. All of it was known in advance. So pay the hell attention, and if it's coming, and if you work in around an area where this is going to happen... Take a damn vacation that week. Okay? Number three, know your neighbors and have a plan if it does spread outside of those areas into yours because no one's going to fix it for you. And have enough sense to not just shoot people because they're walking down the street in a crowd with a sign held up over their head. But when your life's in danger, the law says you have a right to defend it. Be prepared to do so. And know the fact that that is the case is the number one thing that keeps people that are doing this type of activity from going to places where the majority of us that understand this live. They know the police will come out there and yell with a bullhorn and hold up a shield and put on the armor and look apart for a while and then do this. And then there'll be 50 of them running around and they'll only maybe arrest two of them that they're able to catch. They'll call them ringleaders whether they are or not and I'll probably get away. People know they can stand to the back of the crowd. They can pay, pay attention to what's going on. They can jet off at a moment's notice. They know if you go to somebody's house out in the suburbs, they just might shoot your ass. But they just might shoot your ass dead. And that when shit's going on like this and they shoot your ass dead, the same thing that gives them cover to steal a TV gives you cover to shoot their ass dead. They get that. They know that the further you go from the city and the closer you get to a dirt road, the more people with guns and dogs that bite there are. Dogs that are trained to bite, like my main security system sitting right next to me, Charlie Daniels. You come here welcome, he'll lick you. You come over the fence at night, he'll tear your head off. I don't apologize for that. Don't climb over my fence in the dark. Many of you have been here. You've met the dog. He's a wonderful dog. You've also maybe, if you didn't listen, experienced what it's like when you're on the other side of the fence and you haven't been let in yet. That's because he knows this is his territory. This is his place. Friends come through the gate and they walk through unafraid. They don't, they don't have any kind of a weird energy or anything going on this is this is our protection and i don't mean me personally i mean us as a society you step a little bit outside of these these danger zones 
and you fortify. And you don't challenge. It's not like, hey, come out here and we'll show you how it's done. No, don't play that bullshit. You're playing in their hand. Your hope is you never have to do a damn thing other than watch and then go on about your life. Because you ain't going to change it. You don't have influence. You can't fix it. If you want to try to fix it, don't go to Baltimore now. Go to Atlanta now. Try to get that conversation started. Don't go to Ferguson while the while the, the, the gas bombs are going off. Go to Dallas now. If you want to be part of that level of solution, you need to go to where it hasn't blown up yet. I think that right now, due to what's been done to us by the people in power, you're largely pissing into the wind, and it's probably about a 70-mile-an-hour headwind. That doesn't work really well. You live in the country, you know, piss with the wind, not into it. Um... But if you want to try, it's noble, I understand, but you're not going to fix it in Baltimore right now. There is a significant segment of this society that feels that violence is necessary right now. That it's justified. It doesn't even matter who it's to. And we either need to create an environment where those people are able to heal enough to let go of it, afraid enough to not do it, or we're going to experience a giant pimple pop throughout all these urban nightmares where it happens to the point where it's either satiated or stomped down. I know I don't have a lot of solutions to this for you. There isn't one. This whole... Dynamic. This whole socioeconomic dynamic in the United States today is a manufactured dynamic. You can only use people for so long before their anger is released. Now the problem is the people in these inner cities that are used as a pawn, the same as the people that are in the suburbs paying ridiculous property taxes, have a shitty quality of life compared to the person being used as a pawn in the suburbs. They're both pawns. Well, on the chessboard, the two players don't fight with each other. Their pawns do. And occasionally someone will sacrifice a rook or a bishop or a knight. The game ends when one king yields to the other. And then what happens? Players shake hands, have a beer, and reset the board. All the damage, all the violence takes place on the game board and it never affects the people that are actually running the game. That's why this happens. That's why you're sitting here and you're going, I can't understand how this man I'm seeing on TV is jumping up on the hood of the car. He doesn't know who owns the car or drives the car. And even if it's a racial issue, he doesn't know if the guy that owns the car is black or white, but he jumps up on the car, stamps the hood, and smashes the window with his foot. I don't understand how he thinks that is any kind of retribution for anything that happened to him. You don't understand. I'm not saying he's right. I'm telling you the psychology of why he feels that it is. He's reached a point where he feels violence is the answer. 
The guy that's moving him around as a pawn is invisible, and you're not. So you become the outlet of his anger and aggression. That's the psychology we're dealing with. I think it's a failed experiment in social engineering. It's a failed experiment in neo-fascism coming to a head. It is the cusp of a revolution. There's generally no such thing as a violent revolution, a, viol a violentless revolution, a non-violent revolution. It almost never occurs. Even when the revolution will be recorded as non-violent, if you look around, there were always protests and violence and upheaval that led to a recognition of the problem. And then it's just forgotten about, swept under the woods and buried. And the lives lost are ignored, and the property lost is ignored, and the lives altered are ignored, and only the change is recognized. And that's what we're headed into right now. There are so many places that the systems of support are vulnerable. If this happens because one man's life is taken unjustly and they don't feel that justice is done, and that's enough of an excuse to warrant violence, what do you think happens? What do you think happens when one of these crowds does go into a suburban area and is gunned down by armed citizens defending their property? Or... What do you think happens when some of these unsustainable systems of support of wealth, state-based welfare are cut or done away with? And don't think that's a black issue, guys. If you do, you're being racist. There's a lot of white people on welfare. A lot. What do you think happens? Do you think people that have been on multi-generational welfare just go, that's okay. We'll get by somehow. It's all right. Those of you that think this is a racial issue, where the Calvinists that smashed the churches, black, are the ISIS members that are destroying ancient cathedrals in the Middle East right now, killing people. Are they black? Oh, I know they're not white. They're Arabic, but they're not black people, are they? Right? I mean, you understand you can be racist and think you're not. If you think you're not a racist because you have a black friend, that does not make you not a racist. Were the people that put hoods on and burn churches and crosses, were those black people, were they any less animals in their behavior than these people in the inner city in Baltimore right now? That's not from that long ago now, is it? This is what happens when people feel abuse for long enough and the state for a long enough time has convinced them that it's not the state that it did it to them, it's the person to their left or to their right. When the violence erupts, and that's what's been told to the population and sold to the population effectively for long enough, then the violence doesn't actually go to the oppressor, it goes to the fellow oppressed. This is the situation. And no one's going to tell you this but me. If a mainstream news reporter said half of what I said today, they'd be run out of town on a rail and fired. And not only would they be fired from their network, their career would be ruined. 
they they uh, they would basically put out like the equivalent of a burn notice on them. Alternative media isn't going to tell you this because it doesn't help them sell more of their bullshit to you. It doesn't see the problem we have with most of alternative media right now in the prepper space is they've made it us and them, and they've made it the wrong us and them. They play lip service. To the government, but they tell you to fear your, fear your brother. You ever notice riots don't happen in small towns? They just don't. It's not just because Farmer Joe will shoot your ass if you try to burn his, his barn down. The psychology's different. Riots happen in high-density populations because they require high densities of populations to take out aggression and anger on each other. I mean, if you had a riot in the middle of a field in Kansas... Even if you bust the people into riot, what are they going to do? Burn the dirt? I mean, if people went out in the middle of a field to riot, wouldn't you just say anybody that's there wants to be part of it? Rope the damn place off and let them go nuts till they kill each other? Would you even worry about it? There's no infrastructure to be damaged. There's no unwilling participants. Therefore, there's no victims. Riots feed on the victimization of people caught up in them. And when there's no people to attack, because everybody's part of the riot, oh, you've got a club too, okay. Then what are we going to take our anger and aggression out on? Cars and buildings and windows. There'll never be a riot in the middle of an empty field. Because there's nothing to attack. What does that mean? That means that the areas that are susceptible to this type of behavior are easy to identify. Pay attention, don't go there, and don't live there. And if you do go there, pay attention before you go, while you're there, and until you leave. Because sometimes we have to go to places. And if you feel the time is, 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 is looking at all wrong, extricate yourself from it. I got an email from a guy today that said, I have several jobs in the city. My response is, don't go. Don't go. Tell them when they fix that shit, you'll go. I'm not going. Yeah, I don't, if you don't go to Baltimore right now, you're fired. Well, you'll hear from my attorney on Monday. You want to pull that bullshit? That you're putting my life in jeopardy and threatening my employment because I wouldn't go somewhere that my life was endangered? Okay. You'll hear from him in about five minutes, buddy. I'm not putting my life in danger over installing a lawn sprinkler or fixing a burglar alarm to a building that's already been burned to the ground. I wish I had better news for you. I wish I could tell you that this is an isolated incident. But here's what I believe. The potential for this type of a riot exists in every major city in America. And it actually would be relatively easy to set them off like fires. It really would. I think the right people with the right messaging, the right agitation, the right insiders could cause a riot like this in any city with a population over 500,000 in America today. And quite a few smaller venues too. I really do. That should scare the shit out of you. But the response should scare you even more. 
It's not going to be pretty. That's why you need to be prepared. That's why you need to have enough money to not go to work for two weeks. That's why you need to have enough food to not go to the store for two weeks. At least two weeks. That's not that big a deal. Most of these things don't really last that much longer than that. And they usually have someplace else you could go instead. Prepare now and pay attention. This is all you can do. And be aware of the larger impacts and issues. This isn't going to go away. And this will be a major component to the dog and pony show that will be the election of 2016. Mark my words. But know this. Neither side of the dichotomy really gives a damn about you. What they care about is their own agenda, which is more power and more money for themselves. And what you're seeing today is a direct reflection of that abuse. Misdirected anger and violence at people that didn't do anything to each other. It's not a bunch of animals in the streets. It's a small number of scum and a large number of abused human beings abused by a system that they don't understand and aren't even aware of. I saw one of the protesters holding up a sign that said, the system is guilty as hell. The sad thing is that individual's right. The system is guilty. The sadder thing is, he doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about. He doesn't know what the system is. He don't know what system is guilty. He doesn't know how the system is guilty. He doesn't understand the true guilt of the system. He doesn't really understand who's behind it. And it's not likely that you're going to be able to make him understand anytime soon. More violence, eventual crackdowns, economic turmoil. And here's the good news, though. Absolutely nothing that we can't get through. Be prepared for it. I'm not going to say that no good will come from it in the end. But no good will come from it in the interim. We're going to have to hold together and be ready on the other side to try to make something good of the next, I'd say, decade. This type of thing's been a long time coming. It's not going to come and go away in a year or two. And it's going to get far worse before it gets better. Protect yourself. Look after yourselves. Look after your communities. Be prepared to take care of each other. Be prepared to take care of your family and your children. If you have to live in an urban area, have a fallback location planned, whether it's with family or friends, outside of the relative danger zone. Stay alert, stay aware. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. In our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
Nobody up there cares. They're living. 